0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, young people. I'll tell you what, you can tell when uh, someone's had voice training and it's wonderful when young people have uh, the ability to hold their lines, their notes, and they have good eye contact and they look right out at you and sing like they mean it. They get to the vowel sounds and hold them instead of the consonants, and you can you can appreciate good music and good godly music. And I really am so thankful. I had a good time with a couple of those young criminals today. <laughs> we went to an antique store, and uh, turn your Bibles to First Kings and Second Chronicles. First kings in second chronicles and uh wow uh, those guys are trying to they're dangerous they're trying to find bayonets for mausers and trying to buy tanks and stuff and then they they see stuff that's actually imitation japan stuff and that's junk and then they look at the the real stuff and that's 450 dollars and so we left without a lot of that, I just want to say, but <laughs> we had a wonderful time. And health food, let me tell you, Dunkin' Donuts in the morning and Burns Dairy Pizza for, for supper, I mean, how do you beat that? I mean, that's right at the top shelf. <laughs> wow, then uh, this evening, thanks to the Millers that Brother Miller and his wife uh, had me over and those wonderful uh, three little boys. It makes me miss my grandchildren. And we had a great time. And I'm thankful for the fellowship I've had with Pastor Dunbar. He's a dear friend and one of the ones I look forward to being with. And uh, we probably, it's a good thing we only get together once in a while because we'd be dangerous (laughs) if we saw each other too much. But I've been encouraged, and I've been helped, and I've certainly enjoyed the time, the Beast Feast, the Sunday, all of the uh, messages. One of the things that I think I want to just say is, I mean what I preach. I'm here on purpose, and I... uh, I believe with all my heart that if I can come alongside a good pastor and be a confirming voice to what he's preaching and teaching, he's got all year, every year, line upon line, precept upon precept, and to declare the whole counsel of God. And just to certify, hey, what he believes, the rest of us believe. And Debbie's been so kind to wonderful Hostess, and I've enjoyed the, the meals and the time together, <clears throat> the accommodations there at the Holiday Inn. Thank you for every kindness. What's the large woman say going through the barbed wire fence? One more point and I'm through this thing? <laughs> In a way, I'm kind of sad to see the revival services come to a close. Most of you are familiar with the saying, the wisdom of Solomon. And tonight, kind of a a big picture, I want to look at some Old Testament verses. But you'll know in the New Testament, in the Gospels it says, a greater then Solomon is here. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I believe personally that Christology is the most important thing any church can do. The Bible, if, if man's chief end is to know God and please him, Jesus said, he that's seen me has seen the Father. And the more we know about the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we worship him and praise him, the more we draw closer to him, the more Christ-like we are, the more godly we'll be, godliness, godlikeness, the more we'll be pleasing in his sight, which is our ultimate goal. <clears throat> we please him in our worship, our music, our tithing, our fellowship, our church membership. We please him in our home, in our family, in our marriage, in our respect for parents and raising up a godly seed, we praise him in our witness to the lost and our faithful living testimony in front of them and our supportive missions for around the world. And we please him and glorify him by loving our fellow Christians and helping them. And the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Sometimes I think the hardest part about being a Christian is getting along with other Christians. Uh, we all tend to be selfish and short-sighted, and Lord, uh, give me the grace to put up with them and them to put up with me. Amen. And boy, it takes a good dose of humility. <coughs> but I'd like you to turn, and I'll let you stay seated for right now, First Kings chapter 3. And this is just kind of in preliminary. I've got a bad sinus drainage right now. I don't have the coronavirus. But my throat is battling right now. In 1 Kings 3, it says, verse number 5, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. You get down to verse 7, and he says, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of a people which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. And here it is in verse number 9. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart, to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. (coughs) Excuse me, for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, and Solomon had asked this thing, and God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself life, neither hast asked riches for thyself nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself an understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lord, I have given thee, lo, I have given thee, a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honors that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days and if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk then I will lengthen thy days tremendous, tremendous promises here but wonderful situation he's given the wisdom to rule over the people of God In chapter 3, a little later, he settles the dispute between the two women who are arguing over whose baby it really was, right? Cut the baby in half, and the one whose baby it really was, she says, oh, give it to her. And Solomon knew that's the real mother. What a wonderful example we have there. In chapter 4, he sets up princes over his kingdom, and he assigns them various territories and he delegates and gives them local government and he extends his reign over parts of Egypt and the land of the Philistines and the land prospered under his leadership. (coughs) Look with me down to chapter 4 and verse 25 the people dwelt safely and down to verse 29 and 30 of of chapter (coughs) 4 Excuse me. And God gave Solomon wisdom in understanding, exceeding much, and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country. That's where they said, "Well, that's where all the wisdom is," and all the wisdom of Egypt. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. And so we have this wonderful setting. He's established as king, everything's flourishing, and the people come to see, how did you do that? Now, (coughs) excuse me, I don't want to draw too close a parallel, but When America's economy is flourishing and the other nations say, well, how did you do that? Or what could we do to change it so ours would flourish? You get an idea of kind of what's happening here, all right? Then it's hard to imagine, but think of having a temple like it's described and having the king's house as described. And for us, it sounds like really, really bad excess. Well, he's got a throne made out of ivory. <clears throat> but, hey, we're going to cover that and completely overlay that with gold. And, hey, if you've got a throne like that, you need a footstool. And we'll make that out of ivory. And then we'll cover that with Gold. And the Bible goes on and describes the wealth and the splendor and the beauty of Solomon's kingdom. (coughs) Before we get critical, remember, he didn't ask for any of that. He didn't ask for any of that. This idea of wealth in these ages, most kingdoms got their wealth by going and subjugating people by stealing things from them, by taking their wealth, plundering their fields, stealing their cattle, and then you could be wealthy. (coughs) In this case, God just multiplied his wealth. God allowed him to prosper. God blessed the decisions that he made, and they just flourished without alienating everybody else around him. That's a wonderful, wonderful example. Now, if you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and a greater than Solomon, when Jesus rules and reigns, our kings are going to be all wise. We'll be blessed with all bounty. We'll get to reign with him and be a joint heir with Christ and everybody's gonna dwell securely and there won't be enemies on every side. And so these are types and pictures for the Christian. And I wanna make some applications. Please stand if you will to Second Chronicles Chapter nine. Second Chronicles Chapter nine. I don't know if this is my water. It looks used. I'm not sure it was mine, but
1: <clears throat>
0: What's those floaties in there? I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> at
0: least it's not a yeah, no kidding. I've never swallowed one of those.
1: Okay.
0: But I want you to, we're going to just read a passage and learn a few things and then uh, while we'll be letting you go. Oh, wow, look at this. Mm, it's not the coronavirus. Pastor uh, Dunbar, would you read chapter 9, 2 Chronicles 1 through 12, real nice and all? But everyone following along, and I want special emphasis on verse number 7, but 1 through 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 9.
1: When the Queen of Sheba heard of camels that bear spices and gold in abundance and precious stones, and when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart, and Solomon told her all the questions, and there was nothing hid hid from Solomon which he told her not, and when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the, the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their appeal, his cupbearers also, and their apparel, uh, and and his ascent, by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a, a true report which I heard, in my own land, of thine acts, and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not their words until I came, and my eyes had seen it, and behold, the one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me, for thou ex- exceedest the fame which th- that I heard. Happy are th- thy men, and happy are thy servants, which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord. In thee to set thee on his throne to be king for the Lord thy God, because thy thy God loved Israel to establish them forever, therefore made he thee king over them to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices great abundance and precious stones. Neither was there any such spice. As the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon, and the servants also of Purim, and the servants of Solomon, which brought, brought gold from Ophir, brought brought almond trees and and precious stones, and the king made of the almond trees terraces to the house of the Lord and to the king's palace, and harps and psalteries for singers, and there were nuns. Such scene before the land of Judah. And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which she had brought unto the king, so so she turned and went away to her own land, she and her servants.
0: Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless our time together, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We're going to look at four or five things. First of all, the queen of Sheba. We already read kings from all over came. Sheba is 1,200 miles away over in Saudi Arabia. Here (coughs) she comes with an entourage. She's got her camels. She's got all of her people. The Bible says here that she came to prove Solomon. This is a type of the world. This is how lost people think. It can't be that easy. There must be something more to it. I have all this. And before somebody can get saved, there's got to be a great humbling take place. I don't care how much you have, I don't care how smart you are, it doesn't matter all your achievements, all your accomplishments, it doesn't matter all your hard questions, all your skepticism, all the cynicism in the world, when you're coming to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he's not intimidated, he's not awed, he's not threatened, he's not impressed. He's there. She comes. This is a picture of a lost person. This is a picture of the world. She has hard questions. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> the chicken, the chicken, the chicken came first. Uh, did Adam have a belly button? I mean, if there was no umbilical cord. And the deeper implications, if he was made in the image of God, does God have a belly button? (laughs) I know them all. I got them. I mean, can God make a rock so big and so heavy that even he can't pick it up? Right? Foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing they do gender strife, right? Right? It's just somebody trying to stir up trouble. She comes, it says, to prove Solomon. I often kind of laugh when I think of, do you think God, when some guy says, well, you wait, when I die and I stand before God, he's going to answer some questions from me. Don't you suppose he's up there just going, oh, yeah. (laughs) Like what, you're going to shock him, scare him, or whatever. The humbling starts. She comes across, and when she comes up from the southeast and comes over that Mount of Olives, and she sees that white-walled kingdom for the very first time, all around old Jerusalem, beautiful, glistening in the sun. She sees projecting up out of there the most spectacular temple ever built. And she knows, she knows where she came from. They had nothing like this. They had nothing like this. You couldn't, you couldn't imagine, she couldn't fathom what he had. The closer she got, she'd been through the land flowing with milk and honey. She comes from a desert. She sees the bounty. She sees the beauty. She sees the intercourse in the city, all the people bustling about, prosperous, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And she sees all that goes on. And notice, the Bible says, a busy city and... Here in verse 1 and 2 of Second Chronicles 9, she came and he met every need of her heart. There's something about this. Here it says, When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions, with a very great company, and camels that bear spices, and gold in abundance, and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him all that was in her heart, And Solomon told her all her questions and there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. Can you imagine? She you wait till I show him what I got and how unimpressed Solomon was. Whatever she had, he had in spades. Whatever her wealth was, he had a hundred times that. Whatever Uh, You know, he made silver to be as stones in his kingdom, right? I mean, there's so much wealth. Imagine how true this is. She had nothing he needed. That's the way it is when a lost person comes to the Lord. Hey, we have nothing to offer. We don't come and say, well, you'd be surprised what you'd be getting if you got me. God was God before that, He'll be God after that. He loves you. He wants you, but you do not exist out of a need in God in any sense of the word. He was secure before you came on this planet, and he'll be secure after you're gone. So she comes with all of her stuff, He tells her all her heart. She says, "What about this?" He answers, "What about that?" He answers. Solomon tells her all her questions. He's a picture of Christ when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their unbelief in Matthew chapter 12. We won't take time, but hear me. I'm I'm, I'm just emphasizing this scene. My wife and I have been privileged to go to several foreign countries. And among our most pleasant memories was to go down to Bavaria there in southern Germany and to tour the castle of Kaiser Wilhelm. The beauty of going up to, in in southeastern Germany, New Schwanstein, the, the Disney castle and seeing all of the wonderful things. To go to Hungary and there the Austrian Empire and the Habsburgs and the castle that Marie Antoinette and Napoleon and to see the Schönbrunn and the here's a 1400 room castle can you imagine we had never seen anything like it
1: they took us
0: on a tour of just 55 rooms Every one of them, they were just the, the welcome center, the greeting place, the entry hall. The, every one of them had over a million dollars worth of gold gilding, just decorating, just on the crown molding, just great big portraits of battles and kings. They go in the library, and here's a library as big as this room, and they have ladders up to the third and fourth layer of books. They've got a fireplace as big as this platform, all hand-carved.
1: They have
0: hand-carved wooden hinges and decorations around the doors, filials, and and one of the people stupidly said, hey, what do you think it's worth in here? And the tour guide in this belief said, what, what are you talking about? This is priceless. They ruled the world. They brought people from all over the world. They had the very best carvers in the known universe come here. A guy came and carved in this room for 47 years and died, and his son came and completed 20 more years carving just this one room. Lifetimes. He said, what do you you think that's worth? You couldn't duplicate it again again today. There's never going to be another kingdom like that. Just imagine. But what I want to remark upon is they did some really cool things. you got a 1,400-room castle. Well, can I tell you, it gets cold there. And they have to heat the place. So they have all these back corridors and secret passageways. Here's a wall in a castle that's 80 foot high. The wall is that thick, but there's a second wall equally as thick, and there's a little passageway in between because you don't want the servants to be seen right out in the real rooms. So... When they go to stoke the fireplaces in each room, really elaborate fireplaces, but you're not going to be out with the real people because you're just a peon. And so you have to go through this little back hallway and you take out the ashes and you bring in more coal or more wood and you stoke the fireplace from behind so that nobody in the room that's being entertained has to be distracted by looking at any slaves or anything.
1: They have
0: a bathroom and when the Bible talks about they pisseth against the wall, right? They have latrines and and they have but those get cleaned by servants that cannot be seen. It just kinda goes behind, flows behind. And then they have to clean it all out by hand. But hey, you don't want any any servants To be noticed by anybody. (coughs) Room after room after room. Wonderful tilings. This room is all overlaid with leather and they have the finest leather from around the world and all hand-tooled, beautiful imagery on the leather. It's, It's just beyond description. It was just a marvel to see this stuff. Well, the Bible says here she was humbled, and she, he told her all of her heart. But when she saw his wisdom and his provision, notice with me, if you will, at the end of verse 4, there was no more spirit in her. I think this is the type of somebody getting saved. You come with your self-righteousness, And then when you see Jesus Christ for all he really is, it'll take the stuffings out of you. you got nothing to say. You have nothing to offer. You're not going to awe him or impress him. Hey, he has it all. He needs nothing from you. And the Bible says there was no more spirit in her. The pride of man is really something. the ability to say uh, I don't like the way God presents himself and so I'm not gonna you don't get to vote on that the arrogance and the pride of the human race is just almost beyond description but here we have and I want you to notice that after seeing Solomon she lost all of her unbelief and she never said another word about herself that, too, is a picture of a Christian. Hey, it's not what I did. It's not what I accomplished. It's not who I am. I'm going to talk about my king. I'm going to talk about him. But then if you look down to verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. And this is where I really want to get to tonight. And she said, verse 5, to the king, It was a true report which I heard in mine own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom, howbeit I believed not their words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me, for thou exceedest the fame that I heard. Now verse 7 is my text for tonight. When the queen of Sheba came, she saw the fertile land, she saw the herds and the flocks, she saw the busy, prosperous city, she saw the beautiful castle, she heard the words of Solomon. But the thing that impressed her the most... Is in verse 7. She says, hey, I, I didn't know the half of this. And you know what stood out to her? Happy are thy men, and happy are these thy servants. Hey, nowhere in the known world, nowhere ever in history, was it that the slaves were happy that the servants were well cared for, that the ones who were doing the lowliest tasks were enjoying their position in the kingdom. Everybody else is envying, angry, seething in rebellion, trying to overthrow things, hating their job, dreading having to be respectful to the leaders, under the thumb and the rule. But in Solomon's kingdom, she came and saw, and she says, you know, they didn't tell me the half of this. The people that are the lowliest in the kingdom, even down to them, they're happy. They're happy. Why is that so remarkable? Well, it shouldn't surprise us. It goes on to describe... Here's your servants, and watch what she says. Happy are these thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delight in thee, to set thee on the throne, to be king for the Lord thy God, because the Lord the God loved Israel. Notice what she remarks. Look at the way they're dressed. Look at their apparel. Look at their bearing. Look at their countenance. Look at how they're treated. Look at how they serve. Watch what it says in verses um, 3 and 4. The sittings, verse 4, the meat of his table, the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers, their apparel, his cupbearers, their apparel, and his ascent by which he went up into the house. Happy are these thy men. Happy are these thy servants. I didn't believe it till I came and saw this. Now here's why I'm saying this, folks. When the world looks at the kingdom of Christ, don't you suppose they know how happy his servants are? Don't you think they notice our manner of life our apparel. Don't you suppose they notice how we conduct ourselves? Don't you suppose they notice if we have a smile on our face or if we're grumpy? Don't you suppose they notice, hey, I tithed, I gave to missions, and I drive a used car? I don't resent that. I don't regret that. I'm happy to do that. I'm so thankful that there's a lot more to my life than just the immediate and just what I can accumulate. I'm happy that I get to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm happy in his kingdom. Give me the lowliest job. I don't have to be noticed. I don't have to be rewarded. I don't have to be praised. I don't have to be lauded. I don't have to have accolades. I'm happy just to be here serving the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful to be a servant of the Lord. I know what I was made for. I know what I'm doing here. I know where I'm going. I know that it's all going to work out for the best. I read the last chapter. I know how the story ends. I got every reason to be happy. When the world looks at the church, do they see happy Christians? When your lost relatives look at your family, do they see people that are champions for Christ and happy as a clam serving the Lord? Happy are these thy servants. Notice, she mentions this. Verse number 6, she says, Howbeit I believed not their words until I came, and thine eyes, mine eyes have seen it, and behold, The one half of thy greatness of thy wisdom was not told me. The beauty of this, when somebody gets truly saved and they surrender to the Lord, it's not being resigned to a pit. It's not this vow of abject poverty. It's not this, well, that's it. I surrendered to the Lord and... So no we can't get braces on our teeth and none of my kids can ever wear glasses and hey we're probably going to have to not let them get their driver's license and because we're Christians and as Christians you know we we have to live a life of deprivation and misery and sorrow because we gave our life to Christ Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I have security. I have direction. I have friends like I never had before. I have a resource for grace. I love it. I love it. I believe today, today, March 5th, 6th, 8th, whatever it is, 2020 or 25, whatever. I'm more in the center of the will of God today than I've ever been in my life. I'm intoxicated with this. I get to serve the Lord. Look at what I get to do. Hey, yes!
1: I was, the whole
0: time I pastored, we had this one spot where the broken vacuum cleaners go. (laughs) The Ladies came and took turns cleaning the church. The church furnished the vacuum cleaners. Vacuum cleaners actually come right from hell. (laughs) (laughs) But we had a policy, and everybody there is right here beside the closet in the secretary's office If there's something wrong with the vacuum cleaner, if it quits, or if it gets tangled up, or if it needs any attendance at all, you put it right here. Here's the vacuum cleaner parking lot. (laughs) Sometimes there'd be three of them. The basement one, the upstairs one, the school one, the auditorium one, and they'd be there. Every day, there was a secret vacuum cleaner angel and the vacuum cleaner angel came and the vacuum cleaners disappeared and the next day the working vacuum cleaners were all back in their closets where they belong you know who the vacuum cleaner angel was? (laughs) my wife knew I take them stupid dirt suckers apart. I get all the carpet threads out from around the roller. I replace the burned belts. I put new cords where the cords been run over 18 times and it's frayed. I put new plugs on. I put new motors in. The vacuum cleaner angel. Hey, listen. It's not beneath my dignity. Happy are these thy servants. It's my way of serving the people of our church. And I didn't want them to know who the vacuum cleaner angel was. We'd get a new one, and I'd say, bless God, that other one's in the dumpster. But it only took two weeks, and it needed the vacuum cleaner angel again. What am I saying? I'm saying there's something, but I don't care. You can have the lowliest tasks. It doesn't matter. We had a lady, a widow lady in our church, Eva Moore, gave me my first Bible. Widowed, working, cleaning a bank at night, income total, $540 per month. Now, this is a while ago. She tithed. If she was sick, she'd call me, Pastor, would you come over? Here's my tithe check. I always write it out at the first of the month, and it's $54. And then I I can't do much, but I give another 54 to missions. Would you see to it that this gets put in the offering plate? But every night after going to the bank and cleaning there, She came to our building, and from four in the morning till six in the morning, she cleaned every toilet in the place. Unseen, unnoticed, unrewarded, unpaid. One of the happiest Christians I ever met in my life. We were so thankful for her. My wife and I had this great idea. Why don't we honor her? She's the last living charter member. Our church has taken a trip to Israel. We'll collect the money, $3,000. We'll get a throne up here. We'll get a couple dozen roses. We'll get Mrs. Moore to sit up on the throne and we'll have queen for a day and we're going to award her a check with the tickets to go to Israel, all expenses paid. And got her up there, put her in the throne. Everybody who had contributed was excited. It's going to be great. We give her the roses. We put a tiara on her. I show people the Bible she gave me. My first Bible as a Christian. I'm doing my best to honor her and then out come our treasurer and the head trustee and they have this big cardboard check and they say, Mrs. Moore, here's the all-expense-paid trip to Israel. And she's crying and she thanks us and... We everybody's like an Italian wedding, throwing spaghetti in the air, and we're all hey, look at this. And she calls me on Monday, and she says, Pastor, um, I, I'm I'm not able to go on the trip to Israel. Maybe you could find someone else. And I says, Look, Mrs. Moore, I mean, we, I know you like to fly beneath the radar. I know here, but I mean, hey this is a trip of a lifetime i know you love the lord you've spent your life studying prophecy you love the gospels this is going to be wonderful uh pastor i i just can't go i said well why not she said well i have some health issues and i i don't think i could do all the walking and then trying to use the bathroom on an airplane and i have to use the bathroom quite a bit at my age and and I'm trying my best. I mean, I just collected this money. It was my idea. I'm trying to really promote it. And I said, Mrs. Moore, listen, I'm going to lead the trip. I'll be your tour guide. I'm personally going to take you from place to place all across Israel. You know what she said? Boy, that sounds wonderful, Pastor King, but... When I see Israel, I'm going to have a lot better tour guide than you. (laughs) Yeah, you probably are. Yeah, you probably are. She, I did her funeral. Two people at the cemetery the funeral director and me on each end of the casket, carrying her to her grave, lowering her into the ground, putting the dirt on top of her casket. She lived and died in relative obscurity. But one of the happiest Christians I ever met in my life. Why? Why? Because happy are these thy servants. Once you get this, hey, I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I get to be in this kingdom. I'm not in bondage to Satan. I'm not in fear and dread my whole life. I'm not one of those who's trembling at the thought of death. I'm not one of those who's living in abject misery. Hey, it's a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Happy are these thy servants. Well, I want to show you one more thing. It will be done. The Bible says in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus is greater than Solomon, but I want you to notice that when she left, look down to verses 9 through 12, the pastor read. It says, and she gave the king 120 talents of gold and of spices great abundance and precious stones, neither was there any such spice as the queen of Sheba gave Solomon. Now listen, once you are saved, now that you're in the family, now that you belong to Christ, there are some special things that you can offer that nobody else can. It doesn't arise out of a need in God. Solomon didn't need more spices. But what the queen of Sheba had was unique and special that only she could offer. And Solomon allowed, not when she first came, not when she was trying to impress him, but now after she is humbled, now after she believes Now, after she understands the big picture, before she goes back on her way, he allows her to give that which is special and unique and, I think, divine to him. Hey, now that you're saved, whatever your talent is, whatever your interest is, whatever your ability is, he'll take that. He'll take that. You don't have to wonder, is my singing acceptable in his sight? You don't have to wonder, does he really want me to teach that class? You don't have to wonder, hey, could I be the song leader for junior church? You don't have to wonder, hey, is my piano playing good enough? What you have, he'll take. He'll take. Not not in your self-righteousness, not in pride and arrogance not in presumption and, hey, you're really lucky to have me. I say all the time, I was in college. I was studying mechanical engineering. I was going to make a lot of money and look down my nose at the peons, and then I got saved, and God came in and ruined my whole life. (laughs) You're not all that special a gift. It's only the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed but he'll take it he'll take it after you're saved and he'll use it to benefit the kingdom happy happy are these thy servants one of the to me the best the best thing we can do is walk out of these doors pure in heart happy as can be and walking among these that are destined for hell and Headed for the grave and without hope in the world. And say, hey, I got in on a good thing. Somebody that knew me better than I even know myself. Somebody that met every need of my heart. Somebody that promised to help me. I want to tell you about my king. I want to tell you about my savior. I want to tell you about the lover of my soul. I want to tell you what it's like to serve In his kingdom, no regrets. Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Thank you for your attentiveness. She came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear his wisdom. The marvel was they stand continually before thee. They're busy, they're serving Look at the way they're dressed. Look at their uprising. Look at their downsittings. Look at how they serve. When she saw that, there was no more resistance in her. I wonder tonight, are you happy as a Christian? Does it show on the outside? Are you being used by God? Not in your own strength, not in your own wisdom, not in your own ability, but, hey, Lord, what I do have, this talent, this gift, this time, I hallow it to you. It's not because you need it, but you accept it. You're here tonight and you say, Pastor King, I am, the best I know, serving The Lord Jesus Christ. I've got no regrets about it. I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ as I sit here tonight. The best I know, I'm serving my Lord. Would you just slip your hand up? I'm serving my Lord. The best I know, I'm doing what he asks of me. God bless you. God bless you. My second question, and I'm done tonight. Are you happy doing it? Are you happy doing it? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Is it wonderful you you might do things that nobody sees? You could be the vacuum cleaner angel for all I know. But does it show on your countenance, does it show in your day-to-day life, not only am I serving the Lord, this is a wonderful privilege, this is a wonderful life, This is spectacular that I get to do this. Happy are these thy servants. You're here tonight, and you say, Pastor King, (coughs) I'm being obedient the best I know. But sometimes I lack the joy that a Christian ought to have. And I know sometimes it besmirches my testimony. And I let sometimes the challenges and the burdens of life to kind of get me down. But I got a lot going for me, and I'm mighty thankful. And I'm asking God to help me be a happy, serving Christian. Would you just slip your hand up? Lord, help me to be happy and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for each one of these Lord, I pray that as they look down through the calendar of events and all of the things pastor has, even for this weekend and through the year, even as they look at working together to win souls on Saturday or tomorrow, the youth, the various areas of service, (coughs) Lord, I pray that you'd help them to have a unity and a joy and a common purpose. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us not just to be obedient, not just to be following, not just to be serving, but Lord, may it show in the way we carry ourselves, in the way we dress, in the way we look, the way we appear, that we could be doing the most menial of tasks with a smile on our lips, with a song on our tongues, with a joy that wells up from within us. And Lord, help it to be genuine gratitude for all you've done for us. Thank you for security, hope, assurance, answered prayer, deliverance. Help us, Lord, be happy, As servants, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.